Number 287, uh, I'm Nick Bat, editor of sonicstate.com. Uh, welcome to those in the chat room, sonicstate.com forward slash live, where you see the live video stream and you can participate in some IRC-type action via Flash Giant, uh, a client. And, uh, of course, this now usually ends up on YouTube unless there's some catastrophic technical happening, which is starting to feel like that might be happening because my voice keeps cutting out. But we'll soldier on and see how we get on. Um, I want to say thank you very much to everybody joining us. Now, all the guys are doing... Uh, they're, they're starting to mess me around now. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So let's say hello. Uh, we'll say hello to, um, let's start with Mark Tinley, who's over there in uh, in the east hello, of the country. I'm, I'm getting very worried about Dave. I think you should have started with He's going to fall off in a minute. <laughs> you can't see that. I'm doing the switching so that we've got a split screen with me and Mark now in case you are listening to an audio only. Mark Tinley, likebeing.com. Hello. Uh, sound designer, artist, creative thinker. How are you, Mark? I'm very well, thank you. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Your your webcam, it really is very good quality. What is it? It's uh, my missus's laptop. Ah, okay. <laughs> when I bought her for her birthday. Ah, well, that's, we've, we've discussed that before, isn't it? It's like the equivalent of... Bell Easy Note. Ah, right. That's good. He's got a very good webcam. Actually, really good. Anyway, thanks for joining us, Mark. Uh, a pleasure to have you aboard, as ever. Uh, and now we'll flip over um, to Gaz Williams, who's over there in Bristol in his... Uh, in his garret, as I've said before. Gaz Williams right there. Hello, 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 hello. Ah, who's gone, uh, he's taken your uh, Ethan Weiner approach and applied it to a preset, because uh, Gaz likes to go through his TC voice live, which is why his voice usually sounds so good, but now it sounds like this. All your equipment is rubbish, buy real traps. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was pretty impressive, actually, there. Anyway, Gaz, thank you for joining us. Gaz Corsa, at Gaz Goldstar on Twitter. We're still waiting for his web property to be rekindled because it uh, died on the uh, Mac, Mobile Me, whatever it is, when they cut it all off. Gaz Corsa, bass player, technology specialist, songwriter, producer, engineer, mastering engineer. All those things are true, I believe. Been doing a lot of mastering lately. It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's, um, in a mastering kind of space. I wonder that you could have some sort of... Um, uh, sort of pun type mastering house, couldn't you? The uh, master something or other. I, I only bring this up because the other day I saw a, uh, a plumber's van, uh, which is obviously a lady plumber, and her plumbing uh, moniker was Plum Her, which didn't sa- doesn't sound right to me. I mean, it sounds like the wrong sort of thing to put on yeah. as a lady plumber. But anyway, you could have something similar. <laughs> it was in the Bristol area. I, when I do have mastering credits, it's always mastered at Fliskin Manor. And Fliskin Manor comes back from when I was a when I was in secondary school I was trying to come up with a swear word I wanted to invent a swear word and I wanted to get it popular and the word was fliskin and uh, I think it was quite cool one time uh, uh, the 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 the, um, the leader minister of Wales uh, he was going but what I really want to know is where is this fliskin matter so I I thought that was the I, I think as my teenage self I really kind of achieved something there in uh, <laughs> uh, excellent. Well done. No, that's. I, I'm glad you've got it in there, and it's always good to have these things, kind of these references, going on there. Nice work. Um, right, um, we're going to go to. Um, let's see. Let's, let's let's have Dave Spears and Andy Shillito together because we also have a special guest today um, in the form of Andy Shillito, who is a front house engineer. He's someone's going to have to talk there so that your Hello. icon goes all big. So Hello. I can. Hello there. Big uh, a icon. Bit, a bit longer than that. There we go. We got him. There we go, it's Andy Shillito and Dave Spears. If I go, um, Dave Spears, g4software.com, Andy Shillito. I'm afraid I just put front house engineer because, as I said in the pre-chat, I couldn't find any kind of online reference to you anywhere apart from a Facebook page that hadn't been updated for four years. And I think there was something CBB touring where you're listed as an engineer and there's a really dodgy picture of you out of focus somewhere in a venue. Yeah. That's that's uh, just goes to show how lucky you are to have me here today. I exactly. Think. Well, I mean, the point is, is you know, a man who doesn't have to have any kind of web presence or credits online is clearly so busy and is so in swimming in the flow that there's no need for any I of that. Had time to get round to the internet yet? I've been so busy for the last fifteen years. years. Yeah. <laughs> Annie uh you've just come off tour with the Darkness, right? <clears throat> Indeed. Yes. That's because uh, you've worked with them for quite some time, right? 
I have worked with them for almost 10 years now, wow. yeah, since about 2003. And not only that, um, but they've been supporting Lady Gaga, so it's a true kind of superstar, full pop experience, pop and metal kind of joined together in a, in a beautiful, strange symbiosis. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, it is, I suppose. The hair show's quite glammy. There's a bit of a glam vibe going on, generally speaking, around, around uh, Lady Gaga, and... I believe it was partly her choice. Uh, they had some DJs, um, and I think she made the suggestion that they use the darkness. So it's quite nice. I mean, it's quite nice that, it, that it's it's good that it happened that way because going onto that size of a tour and not being requested by the artists themselves Could would be probably a, make or, life a little bit more difficult when the crew have been used to a DJ. <laughs> and you've got like <laughs> double bass drums, a gong, eighteen cymbals, and uh, costume you know. changes, wardrobe. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, well I'm know, sure she yeah, could do... But it's been well, good. They've all been really lovely, and the shows have been good. Oh, uh, well, uh, I, I'm, I want to talk to you a bit more about that later on. But um, Obviously, I realise that, uh, obviously, working with Gaga, you've probably had to sign some kind of ghastly legal agreement that means that you can't mention anything to do with her. But uh, I'll, yep, I, will, I will stand off for that. I respect that, and I'll try not to slip in any indiscreet questions. Thank you very much. I'll try not to avoid them too heavily when you do. <laughs> <laughs> and also we got uh ah oh, rich hilton is back we haven't had rich for a couple of weeks it's great to see you there rich rich of course is in uh well where are you exactly i suppose you're in uh, sunny connecticut although it's probably not so sunny these days beautiful out ah oh, uh it's beautiful glad to hear that. yes i'm at home it's gorgeous here it's the prime week of autumn with the gorgeous golden leaves and the Oh, it is, yeah. The New England colored. kind of the New England yeah. beach and maple business, I expect, yeah. isn't it? Rich Hilton, you're looking very um, well groomed. You look like you've done your hair and had a really close shave. I'm, I feel honoured. Not that you don't normally look your best, of course, but it, there's just something about you this week that's even more special. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, you've uh, just recently come back from uh, um, knee work. Nice. Yes. yes. It's all good, though. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I am glad to hear that. So have you got the kind of happy uh, happy sheen of a man who's been on heavy painkillers for, for a no, couple No, of no, no, no. I didn't. I took, like, three of them in the beginning, and that was it. The oh, second fantastic. day I was out and about on crutches, and the third day I was out and about without crutches. Oh, that's fantastic. Rich Hilton, of course, uh, mans the controls for Niles Rodgers' private studio and also uh, goes out on the road with Chic as a bona fide member of the Travelling Disco Band. Who legendary disco band? So uh, thanks for joining us, Rich. Are you kind of on time off at the moment then, or are you back at work? Well, uh, Niall has very kindly cut me a lot of time to get my knee back together. I did actually go there to sort of surprise him last week, and uh, we're in communication all the time. And we've got a we've actually got a gig coming up at the end of the month, so we've been talking about that. Excellent. Oh, I'm glad. So to what you're going to say? Change the locks? Yeah. <laughs> 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 He'd never do something like that. Right, I want to apologise. We seem to be having a few audio dropouts to the live audience and also here as well, but I'm going to try and pause over them where I can so that they'll just, uh, they'll just be kind of uh, interesting interludes. Anyway, we now have everybody. I want to go back to uh, Andy uh, Shillito because I want to quiz you a little bit about, your, um, about the, the, kind of the touring machinery of uh, what you've been doing. Have you got, you got big lorries and, and, uh, and all that sort of business or are you kind of... Uh, using their front of house stuff? Um, <clears throat> there are big lorries, um, lots of them. Uh, she has, uh, I believe there are 39. We have half a one, <laughs> uh, which they very kindly lend us that we share with the driver's bikes. The rest of the truck has the, the other the teams of driver's uh, push bikes in it and our back line. 39 um, trucks, that is she's a got. I think it's 39. How do they get the parking? That must be a nightmare. Do they all have well, to sort of drive in one by one and then go and park outside of town somewhere? I don't know. They do it overnight, don't they? Oh. So, um, thankfully, I don't have to see that. But uh, I would imagine um, it's the, the size of the gigs just means there's enormous car parks everywhere. Ah, yeah, I guess so. Um, That's the... So, you know, um, it tends to be that. Um, uh, and what are you using in front of house? Are you, doing, are you doing the DigiDesign thing or has you got... No, we're on a DigiCore D7s. Ah, okay. That's um, interesting. Which uh, was the, were, were their choice. They changed engineer just as we joined the tour, for one thing. They changed the front of house guy. Um, and he brought in a Digico. Um, it's D&B, 
speaker systems uh, which he spec'd and we just use his desk um, because it's all totally recallable uh, so we literally just load shows he loads his show after mine right so um, how does that work do you have a kind of dark did you know that was coming and you do a kind of production rehearsal with that desk so that when you go there you've got your kind of stuff and your cues ready or do you have to make it up sort of on the first sound check as it were no, I went into a warehouse for an afternoon and put um, laid stuff out on a desk and did EQs and chose comps and stuff like that and uh, made a desk file up and then emailed it across the world. And when I arrived, it was already there. So, uh, you know, a good starting point with with plugins and all that kind of thing. Um, so, wow. yeah, no, it's it's all pre-prepped, really. Um, oh, that's interesting. So do, does the Digico system run plugins or have you got external stuff that sort of interfaces to your, your, your kind of... Um... No, it's all, it's all internal. Um, and it's, it, it tends to be better to use the stuff that's on board, which is often not, not as posh or intricate or as kind of vintage as some of the stuff that you can add in. But it does tend to work a lot more efficiently if you use the on-board stuff. Oh, what, in terms of sort of latency and stuff like that? Or is it just in question? Yeah, just in terms of... In terms of latency and um quality of signal really i mean those things that it's not that i don't know a great deal about this but it's a lovely what we have found is it's a lovely desk right so it's uh and and i you i would be reluctant to move on to anything else now oh interesting interesting because i'm guessing probably most of the stuff that you have been working on is is what is it digi design based because i mean that seems to be everywhere or are you yeah the digi design stuff is what's turning up um more commonly yeah um and i presume it's slightly cost-based and you can cross-platform across the desks which is kind of nice because you go into smaller venues and they've only got the 16 channel version maybe and you can quite quickly get a file across onto a smaller desk which you can't do so easily on the other the other mix digital desks that are popular Ah, okay. Um, I think Rich put something in the in the chat room. I don't know if that was a question for 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 uh, Andy. Um, do you get good consistency from the band on a nightly basis? I mean, is the sort of setup able to you know they can just kind of bang it at me because they're, they're obviously professional guys. I've, I saw some video. In fact, I got a little bit of video of them performing <coughs> at the Isle of Wight, which I'm guessing was something that you might have done as well this year. Uh, yes, that is something that we did this year. Um, yeah, they're very consistent, the boys, and the te- I think I've, if if I ever talk about this, I always say this, but the techs are, the techs are very consistent and very good. Um, so yeah, you kind of you, I'm I'm confident in what I'm going to get from the band, right? Practically all the time. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's knowing what you're going to get. I suppose one of the things is we we don't really get much looking for sound checks and stuff on this, so that was kind of hitting the ground running a bit. But what it is useful to know is the difference between how uh, a drum kick or a kick drum is going to sound when the drum tech hits it uh, as to when the performer actually gets up in front of X number of people and hits it. Ah, right, okay. Do you get, like, virtual sound check stuff or is that not part of what happens? No, well, we don't get any time to do that at all. Ah, right, so uh, you just this. Kinda... They do. They do. He does um, the Gaga show gets sound checked every day. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's as you expect. It's an intro. I mean, it must be. Um, it must be quite. I, I mean, you've been on this sort of scale of tour before, though, right? I mean, it's not a, an unusual environment for you. No, not particularly. No. What is what? What's the kind of big? Um, I hope that doesn't happen. Thing for a, something that's so well oiled and so kind of fantastically. <laughs> but I don't turn up. Yeah. Well, apart from like the individuals not showing up and having to cancel shows. I mean, what's the sort of? I mean, th- those sort of problems that happen on a those that can. On a regular basis? Um, on a regular basis, uh, the power going off on a regular basis is, is probably the most unavoidable, shockingly... Um, Terminal. <laughs> ter- yeah, um, debil- arresting thing that can happen. Um, I was wondering when you were asking me the question whether you were actually... That was a really a close question and what you were really asking me was what's the biggest mistake I've made so far on this tour? Uh, well, I could ask that if you like, if you want Which, me to. I guess would provide a more interesting answer. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. Um, so what's I the biggest mistake you've made on tour so far? Well, <laughs> well, Nick, it was like this. Um, I actually, I accidentally, something that confuses me greatly about uh, live desk, particularly, because it's not such a problem in the studio, is they always seem to put the 
either in the case of Yamaha, the on-off button. Um, in the case of every other desk, the mute button is always next to the solo button, which, you know, I find a little risky, personally. Yeah, I, I, and, um, <laughs> having put, without getting too sort of techy, um, unless that's the point, having put everything into VCAs and then thrown it over into groups so that, uh, so that the drum kit had a, went out of a stereo channel, the basses went out of a stereo, separate stereo channel, and so on. Yeah. Each person's guitars, uh, backing vocals, vocals, um, which were then compressed by everything, uh, or uh, were then compressed or affected, had other things put onto those groups on the way out, such as uh, graphics and stuff. And I then duped it again to put a left and right one on so that I could compress left and right and uh, have a quick grab graphic on it, and was gleefully. Uh, listening to that soloed in the headphones uh, without realising that I'd actually caught the mute button at the same time. So I could hear it perfectly well in my headphones, but unfortunately the 40,000 people at Twickenham couldn't <laughs> hear it for about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, that's got to be that's so got to be a blushing moment. Yeah, you don't do it again. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, kind of necessary, but... I don't do... I, I find that stuff like that, I tend to kind of like just tape things over and put you can get special little um they're like little bits of tupperware and plastic that you just put over buttons that you really don't want to hit we have it on our cameras for uh, the um for the trade shows there's a button that you can hit that what it does is it will basically switch the camera from video mode into some other mode and it, you really don't want that to happen so we just gaffer tape them up i mean the, i guess you can't do that across you know 196 channels but there must be some specific ones you can you can nobble Okay, no, there is actually a button on the um, on the old Midas analog desks, which is a solo in place button, um, which you really don't want to hit. And they they build a plastic cap for that that you can put over it. But it's always it's always nice to see a digital desk with half a fag packet gaffer taped over a dangerous button. It's <laughs> always a nice mix of technologies. That's right. It's like the kind of DEFCON 5. It's the, the button that you need the key to open the flap, then you need another key, and you both have to press it at the same time for it to have an effect. My argument is don't put those on live desks, please. Yeah, I think that's a very good, very, very good point. don't need them. They only serve to cause disaster. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's a very wise words indeed there, Andy. Thank you very much. Um, I think we can probably go to one of our topics now because um, that's that's also the uh, the way things work. I, I, I might be a bit... Um, um, flip about a bit because I mean this one this one might be actually something that's interesting that we could kind of tie in with the live effects and also Rich I know you probably have something to say about this and this was uh, if I go here uh, I don't know if you can see this is the page on Reddit which is actually we are the music makers which is a really good um, quite vibrant set of links and comments and questions that, that that come up and i use it quite a lot for certainly ideas for topics for the show but it's a really good community if you're interested uh, you go to reddit and look for we are the music makers and this was posted by somebody called vodo slush bass or bass i'm sorry uh, it says we have a live board mix from a venue a few years ago and would like to add some vocal backing and instrumentation that wasn't possible at the time while maintaining the integrity of the live sounds are there any suggestions for adding new tracks and this is kind of an interesting thing because I, I know uh, Rich, for instance, you've had the issue where you've uh, you've been working on DVD, live DVDs and what have you, and you've been putting them together to you know to master them. I mean, presumably there have been instances where you think actually you know we could support this a little bit or you know bounce things. I don't know how you do that, but there must have been instances in your illustrious career where you've had to try and do that. How would you match? How how would you start the an approach like that? It's really situational, but you. It's. I feel like the time when my friend asked the ice sculptor, how does he do the Statue of Liberty out of a block of ice? And he said, it's easy. You just cut away everything that's not the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> right. So I want to tell you, it's easy. You just don't do anything that doesn't sound like part of the original performance. Um, but, and, and sort of, if you guide it by that, then it becomes very situational. A good example, for example, uh, would be, that uh, this past summer I had to provide backing tracks for some singers for the Montreux Jazz Festival. And one of them was to be based on a live version of a song she had done with a band. And the section that had been recorded didn't contain all of the chords that had been performed in that live version with the band. So what I needed to do was match essentially a synth sound and lay it into a two-track mix of what they uh, that I assembled out of what I could find to make out of 
instrumental tracks because she she wants to be a track or act, but she has no tracks. Um, and so I had to match an existing keyboard sound that was in their record in order to flesh out this bridge that they had done live sometime later that would match what she was expecting to hear. So that's a recent example of when I had to do that. Okay. Most of the time with live stuff, you can grab it from some other part of the recording. You know, you rarely actually have to play things in unless it's harmonic material that doesn't exist anywhere else. Okay, but I mean, in the instance where, say, you might be using a live show as the basis for some bonus tracks or whatever, and you think, I'll just replace X or Y, you know, that, that, is there a kind of an approach that you would start with? You know, how would you, how would you begin in such a situation? I press play and I hit record and I play <laughs> the piano part. <laughs> okay. I've done that, yeah. Yeah, I had to do that too, um, you know, or whatever. But I mean, you do, like I said, you do whatever you have to do to sound like you were there with doing it with them when they were doing it. It's you just use. So I mean, it could be so philosophy. many different things. I suppose there's not some like you were there plug-in you stick in on the fader that makes it like necessarily sound like you were there. You do whatever you have to do to the sound you're working with to make it sound appropriate to what you're trying to interject it to so it doesn't call any attention to itself unless it's supposed to call attention to itself. I uh, got you. I mean, one thing that sort of came up in the uh, replies, uh, or we've had so far one reply to that particular comment, was the idea of sort of using match EQs and things like that. I mean, is that something that would make sense or would you tend to... I, I'm not, like, not necessarily. Okay. All right. No. Well, thank you for that. What about Andy? I'm, I'm going to hit you next because presumably you have to actually deal with um, being in charge of the live recordings. And I know that you have a studio background as well. So there's probably something in there that you, you must have come across this situation before yourself, right? Well, yeah, Richard, I was thinking about this this morning when Dave, Dave first invited me to come on today. And uh, most of the things that Richard just said are, are, the, are the key things, really, are... You've got to make it feel like you were there. So looking for EQ matches and gadgets with which to simulate the fact that you were there or that something sounds like it was there is not really the way to go. The way to go is to try and get you, you know, most of it, most of the sound of any of everything. I, I always like to, to cite uh, Bernard Edwards' bass sound. Um, I understand, I don't know this for a fact, but you, I understand that you could give that man any bass you liked and it would come out sounding like that pretty much because that's what was coming off his fingers. Um, and, and that's where it is really. You have to, you know, I think the, the, the initial response, press play, uh, press record and just get in there because that's what you would have been doing if, if you would have been playing with a pen. But what about in terms of ambience and the surrounding kind of space? Uh, yeah. In terms of that, I was thinking about that and I think, I, I think probably the... Uh, want to do that is to try and copy the ambience that's, that's on your live recording. I would probably, and having done this, having had to do it a couple of times, um, it depends on what part it is. My experience, obviously, is more in guitar parts uh, involved in overdoing slight bits once or twice of guitar parts. Um, as Richard said, the easiest way and the most authentic way is to go and get it from elsewhere in the song, pull it in and make it fit. Right. Um, if you can't do that, you have to re-record it. Um, when I was doing that, in order to get them to sound similar, I tended to EQ both of them toward a common point, as, ah, opposed, okay. as opposed to trying to EQ the new one to sound like it was a gig. So if that meant putting, a, putting the original guitar through a plug-in of some sort or putting a reverb on it, then uh, you know, if, I, I would affect the one, the original one, in some way that I was capable of affecting the new one. Ah, so you get a kind identity. of gl- a common a common ground of glue, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that's an so interesting there's, idea. There's a, there's a way to glue it together, but and then obviously if it's if that's proven difficult, you, I would then err away from um, using the direct signal as much as possible, and and you know create something that you could easily. The two things could easily appear to be each other once set in the mix. Oh, we have a bit of uh, um, gossip in the chat room here, uh, which I'm going to bring in just quickly. A friend of mine went on tour with Brian Ferry and had to use his soft synths to program his old synth sounds. Uh, apparently, Brian wasn't happy with the sounds, told him to go back and redo them. He went back two weeks later with no tweaks, and he loved them. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a very mean story, but one that makes me chuckle, and I'm sure that you can be... Uh, Mark Tinley, um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I know you want to get it because you're really into convolution and, and, and match EQ and that sort of stuff, right? Massively overexcited by all of this, and I'm going to completely contradict everyone. I'm <laughs> um, a very logical person, so I don't care how it feels really half the time. I think that feelings are a story that you've made up about 
stuff and it's possibly not real. So I would logically approach it with a match EQ and I would make, I would go and find bits then record new vocals and try and match EQ to make it sound exactly like the other vocal. Same with guitars or any other parts. I might do a match EQ of the entire track or I might do subgroups of match EQ for things and then I would try and make things sound exactly the same as the things that are already there. And I, I, th I find that approach works. Right. I mean, I put things, tra things into tracks that I recorded in like 1984 or whatever and and I thought I'm never going to get this to fit or sound like it should even be in here. And um, and using the match EQ approach, it works really well. The only thing that you can't, the, I think that the the thing that really screws it up is when somebody comes along and puts a beautifully polished reverb on and tries to match the space. I actually think no reverb and just sitting it back there somewhere works better than trying to put the wrong reverb on. So I think that when it starts to go wrong. It's when you're trying to put stuff with the wrong reverb in a space that already exists. And if you put one or two things in the space and, and it doesn't have any ambience on it, you can kind of get away with that rather than put the wrong thing on. So ah, okay. I would that... that I'd go with match EQ, no reverb, and try and blend it in as best I can. Right. Okay. Thanks very much, Gaz. I'm 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 anticipating that you perhaps have something to say on the subject as well. Oh. So we'll come to you too because your video seems to have reanimated. I, I, I think it's an interesting one as well, is where is the line between, uh, you know, doing what's necessary and vanity, you know. Because um, I know that loads of these great 70s live albums were, uh, if you excuse the language, touched up. Um, they, I think, um, you know, is it, when does it become deceptive, or when does it become just doing the right thing to make what's there sound good? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's quite interesting from a sort of audience point of view. Would you feel, if that this wonderful live album that you listen to, would you feel sort of slightly squizzed if you knew some of the parts weren't original? Um, as a layperson, I don't think I would, actually, really. Um, I mean, if it was all unoriginal, you know, maybe the bits, the, the, the whole vocal or something, yeah, maybe, but I don't, I don't think I particularly would. I don't know what anybody else thinks about that. Uh, you know, as, as I say, you know, it, it, maybe I'm a little old-fashioned, but I love to see a band who can really, really play really, really well. And, uh, you know, if I heard yeah, a live... You can't ever record that, can you? I mean, if you're really honest, if you, it doesn't matter how many microphones you put on a band that can really, really play, and it doesn't matter how good the sound engineer is, you just cannot record that vibe. You can't get it. Because you're talking about taking things that are two inches in diameter at best, placing them bang up close to instruments, and then trying to record. You lose all the time delays that you get from people being in, in the space and stuff, and it all just starts to condense into this weird little stereo field that we listen to music in. So... I, I, you know, I think going to see a live band is brilliant, but I don't think it's very easy to capture. I personally think the hardest thing would be is obviously if you're replacing something that was, if you're putting something in that wasn't there in the first place, that's something different to replacing something that was there because the amount of spill that's going to be going down all the other mics, you know, the drum mics, the ambi, whatever, that's going to be, that's an interesting thing to try and solve, you know, because if, I think you know, there are. It's, it's almost like a kind of, uh, I'm being a bit airy-fairy now, but it's almost like, a, is there a spiritual dimension of musicians playing together? And when you start to kind of pick at that and replace, are you, you know, are you tampering with something, you know? Well, I don't know, the classic yes, retouched album, are, apparently, yes, the classic, apparently the classic retouched album is uh, Thin Lizzy's uh, Live and Dangerous, which I know Andy probably seeing as he's got a Thin Lizzy icon on his Facebook uh, <laughs> personality, <laughs> he might feel qualified to say uh, something about it. But, but um, before that, Rich, you were shaking your head vigorously about my uh, point about the spill and uh, what have you. Is, uh, it, that's not an issue then, presumably. Are you thinking you can price that stuff out anyway? People will accept things as believable remarkably easily. And I, I don't mean that as any kind of a rap or bad or insult on people who no, I we, love we want it to be true most of the time. Don't you? of my life, I'm just saying, it's the uh, audio sleight of hand is is actually I find incredibly easy, and people will accept things far more hideous than I will provide. <laughs> <laughs> 
But it all goes back into that idea that we're squashing everything down into this weird little stereo field to listen to it, doesn't it? Because, I mean, it's already already an audio illusion that there's any sense of space there at all, really. So um, they're they're already convinced they're hearing something that sounds like a live band when they're listening to it on their iPod. So... um, all you have to do is make it sound like an eye, like a, a good stereo recording of a live band, right? That's been the legacy of my last 25 years. I don't know about you. <laughs> Can I say something about Bernard's bass, actually? Yeah. Because Bernard's bass was underneath um, Warren Cucurulo's couch when I was working with Duran Duran for about uh, maybe five years, I think. And Warren used to pull the bass out and play it. And they were all convinced that it had some, in some way, still had the spirit of Bernard with it in some way. And Nick and Warren were absolutely, like, really uh, adamant that nobody should ever change the strings. And I played it, and I have to say, it did sound really good. And then eventually JT came and got it back and sort of said, you know, that's mine, can I have it back, please? And he changed the strings, and it never sounded the same after that. It was almost as if something had been dismantled about its character. So um, I've Mm. no doubt Bernard probably made anything sound brilliant. But uh, I just remembered you telling me this story 10 years ago. Sorry? I just remembered you telling me this story 10 years ago when John broke the bass out when we were working at Sphere. But the thing about the strings in Bernard is... He never changed the strings, and it was a joke about uh, somebody came up to him and said, oh, Mr. Edwards, what kind of strings do you use? And he said, I don't know. What kind of strings come on a Music Man bass? Um, uh, and well, I've met a few strings, guys. Should, you know, we should have I, saved them, shouldn't we? I met a few guys who don't. Rick Okasik also doesn't change his strings. When I worked with him in 1990, he was using the same strings he had written those songs on in the mid-'70s. <laughs> <laughs> on that same SG. No, I'm serious. So He's a lucky guy. The Midazoland that... album has some of that vibe in it then, doesn't it? Uh, it's still which? in there. Midazoland, that bass was played a lot on Midazoland and also okay. on the album after that. So but the other thing I know yes, is I've, I've picked up guitars owned by many very, very famous and highly respected guitarists. And I sound like none of them when I play. <laughs> but if they pick up my guitar, they sound exactly like them. <laughs> see, I'm not entirely sure. See, when I pick up other people's guitars, the frets and the the way that the thing's being played does make a difference to the way that the instrument plays. So it yeah does um it does influence you. Yeah, too. it will do, I suppose. But I don't sound like them. Well, that ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've just realised that we have a sponsor, and I should probably do something about that and talk a little bit about that, and maybe we can come back to another topic uh, shortly. So uh, just one second, and I will press the button. I want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for their sponsorship of the show. I uh, really do appreciate it. They've got some great new stuff out, um, stuff even outside of the scope of this wonderful uh, graphic that we're showing if you're watching the video side of things. There's over 20 applications. I can think of at least 21 now with the with the, uh, the visualizer. Uh, 20 applications in the, the music category alone. Yamaha are putting a lot of effort into making the iPad and the iOS a really kind of convincing uh, workspace. So I've sort of got some audio dropouts there. Workspace for the musician. Got control of various uh, mocks, motif, S-series keyboards. Uh, in fact, you've got the S90X, S70X, S-motif, edit and control, the voice editor, performance edit, allow you to get to the individual parts and the effect setting, XY pads, that side of things. There's also the set list organiser, which uh, we showed in uh, one of our early Sonic Touch episodes. This is great. allows you to make notes around uh, various different songs, send out program changes, put in images, and just fire things off. There's also recording cl- share with the cloud audio recorder so really if you if you're serious about making music and you also have an ipad do go out and check out the yamaha world of apps go onto itunes search out for the yamaha apps or go to uk.yamaha.com and once again we thank yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show i think that i think we should do the felix i'm not sure how i pronounce this felix bangal i mean let's not forget a bloke jumped from one thousand well have 24 miles from outside from the earth's surface and reached the speed of 834 miles per hour on thursday of last week 14th of october uh, an amazing achievement and i've got I, I can play probably a tiny 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 weeny bit of video perhaps without getting into trouble this is the one that got me it's this shot here where he just kind of hold on i'm gonna where he opens the door and is standing on the... That is just... That just blows my mind. Completely. 
I'm not going to play anymore because YouTube will probably sue my sorry person. But I was thinking, you know, I, I, this is an amazing achievement. I mean, incredible thing. I don't know if you, anybody got the chance to watch it. Apparently 8 million people watched it. Um, yeah, it was weighed down by the size of his balls, says Rapscallion in the, in the chat room, which I think is a, is a nice little point there. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, if there's a, is there a musical equivalent of this? And I think that, because the reason I'm asking this, and I'm looking at Andy, really, because he's on tour with The Darkness and Lady Gaga at the time, who are possibly the sort of, there's somebody amongst there who is the equivalent of Felix Baumgartner and his uh, achievements. I know Lady Gaga has done some amazing things in terms of just the, her work rate alone. And I'm guessing that uh, the guys in The Darkness, I mean, watching the stuff that I saw from the live shows just researching on YouTube, uh, I've got a pretty astonishing work rate. I mean, what sort of superhuman feats can you attest to in this uh, in the musical world, perhaps? Or is that... Superhuman? <clears throat> no. Uh, the couple of things that came to mind when looking at that question this morning, again, when Dave sent us stuff through via email, um, musical equivalent of somebody taking such a risky dive in front in front of the world yes the first thing that came to mind honestly and it's really more of a bill bailey joke is uh perhaps you two trying to do a song without a delay pedal would be a, <laughs> <laughs> would be a similar kind of naked explosion of whether or not they would in fact fly or not that's an um, interesting point. I don't know if you've ever seen, um, uh, what's it, Some Like It Loud, Make It Loud? The, the, the kind of... Yeah, watched a bit, we were watching a bit of that the other day. Actually, and it's amazing. You've got these guitarists who come on and they just have this amazing tone <laughs> and then Edge wheels this giant kind of rack of stuff. And you can tell he feels a bit sheepish about the fact that his sound, and there's no reason he should because it's an amazing, groundbreaking sound, but it, it sort of feels like artifice, you know, uh, in the face of a bloke winding a piece of wire around a nail <laughs> and a pickup and making a wonderful sound. But yeah, I take Absolutely. your point compounded by the fact that he then takes it down the beach to play it. And, uh, he has it all wheeled down the beach, doesn't he, with a battery power pack, and he stands and looks out at the sea and plays, which is great. You know, I mean, it's not, I'm, I'm not decrying it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, not really, uh, it's not really a natural environment for the instrument, is it? Um, in terms of physical feats, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a period that Justin went through that we managed to stop him where he did a thing called the Leap of Faith, which is your physical equivalent, where he climbed on balconies and um, crucifixed himself down into the audience. We had to stop him doing that because of the possibility of suing, of course. Um, oh, gosh, yeah, he, I mean... he also does a headstand in the middle of Get Your Hands Off, where he uh, encourages the crowd to clap by using his feet in a starship whilst doing a headstand. Wow. So, so that's quite. A, I'm, I'm surprised at the level of physical. I mean, he's obviously kind of must be. How long do they? I guess how long do they play on a support night? Is what 40? on the Gaga shows they play for 45 minutes. Right. So I suppose he can cram a hell of a lot of stuff in there, whereas a two-hour show might be uh, a little more draining. You can get it all in in one bit. I suppose it must be very intense. Yeah. Yes, it is quite an intense show. Yeah. He's um he's a very very physically fit man now though so uh yeah i think he relishes the hour and a half rather than i think he's just getting warmed up after 45 minutes oh god so i mean comes off stage after 45 minutes and then it's like a ball of energy and sort of needs it's like a toddler after a sugar rush right yeah kind of yeah <laughs> yes i won't i won't go into any questions about how one winds down or anything like that i'll leave well, that these to... days, no but it's fine these days because i can answer those um oh. because these days it's it's going to the gym or going to a restaurant um so so yeah you know there's nothing uh, nothing untoward going on anymore oh, well i'm glad to hear that clean life uh, pr prevails um, yes da well actually dave while i've got you there because i forgot to, mm. i keep forgetting to come to you because I, and I, I keep asking andy which is probably very rude of me he's considering i'm in his house yeah yeah no, he's my guest uh, uh, no, I've seen fair few people's careers flop like he, this guy fell out of the sky. I once jumped off a diving board once. That was quite cool. Um, and I have nothing else to add oh, other than I really... I didn't want to listen to that music when I watched that video. I wanted to hear that Boards of Canada, Dave and Cowboy. You remember that video where it was just... It was very similar. And I was just like... And I've actually rerun it a few times. 
Oh, well, with the alternative it's, music it's track. It's kind of, yeah, pompous American rock music. Something a little bit cooler. But yeah, there you go. Emo- so, emotive that. X Factor, emotional uplifting kind of music bed. I'm just yeah, getting yeah, a bit yeah, sick yeah, of those, that really. That stuff kind of, yeah, it does make me feel a little bit ill. Yeah, well, you know, I wonder how much that whole thing must have cost Red Bull. I mean, that is, uh, I mean, and I was also looking at, I was thinking, I wonder how, you know, there was all that talk about the idea that um, the Apollo moon landings could have been faked and it was done in the desert somewhere or in a sort of French warehouse. And I was thinking, actually, (laughs) because there's this little tiny blurry sort of white thing that's dropping through. I'm sure it wasn't the case, but I was just, just in case, you know, for instance, if he said, I'm not doing it when he got up there. From my perspective, the really weird thing is, of course, the advertising slogan over here is Red Bull gives you wings. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> cheating, like. It kind of didn't, did it? <laughs> no, makes but you fall like a stone. <laughs> Red Bull makes you drop at the speed of sound. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Mark, I'm guessing there might be something uh, you could add to this, this topic. If you well, I've been felt- thinking about this um, quite a lot, actually, since this topic began. And I think uh, that the musical equivalent of this uh, jump to Earth from space is one of Gav's um, long S-curve fades. And you're going to think, why is he saying uh, that? Ah, okay. Because when he jumped out, when he left the capsule, right, the speed of sound where he left the capsule is 690 miles an hour. When he landed on the ground, the speed of sound when he landed on the ground is 761 miles an hour. So there's a, a kind of a, a curve happening a where the speed of sound speeds up as he gets closer to the Earth. And he reached 831 mile an hour, and they're claiming that he uh, made Mach 1.24. But how long did it take him to accelerate? So this is my rant about it, actually. I'll try not to make it a rant about it. But I want to see the data. How did they work out that 831 mile an hour was Mach 1.24? Because they must know at what point he reached 831 mile an hour. So where was the speed of sound in relation to that? Because it looks like they've just gone 1.24 from 690 from when he jumped out. So I don't think he did 0 to 831 mile an hour in a split second. So I think it's like one of Gav's beautiful (laughs) S-curves. That's a very interesting point. I'm probably going to make my head explode there. Um, Rich, what, what, uh, what, what do you have to contribute? <laughs> Not a damn thing. Ah. <laughs> my life has never been put in danger by anything I've ever done in a recording studio that I can recall. Well, I wasn't necessarily- right, let's, let's, let's put it this way. Anything that I didn't do willingly. I wasn't, I wasn't sort of necessarily thinking about uh, that. Uh, it's it's the, a musical risk, I suppose. You know, I'm going to try that F sharp here. How's that? It's like, no, you can't do that. The book says no. I think hitting the solo button at the live show is a pretty close call. (laughs) 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 I watched Pro Tools crash during a rehearsal this summer and decided not to run it on stage the following night because I was afraid it would do it again. I mean, it didn't crash. It just went through a buffer uh, error and stopped playing. And I said, no, we can't have that tomorrow. No, well, that's a... And other people said that too. <laughs> <laughs> but then what does that mean for the next show? What do you have to do to kind of not run it? That's quite a lot of work, presumably, to kind of cover yeah. it. No, yeah, I bounced some shit down and played it in iTunes. It was great. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Bounced some shit down and played it in iTunes. That sounds like a show title there, if ever, if ever <laughs> I heard one. <laughs> if it rocks your world, go for it. Uh, Gaz. Hmm. Uh, is this, uh, I mean, from a personal point of view uh something that my band and i don't know if i've ever mentioned about this before but um when we signed a record deal in the year 2000 and we were talking about our first single um at the time mp3s were just about to become a household well they were just becoming a household name back then sort of mp3s it was just coming just coming of age and um we realized that you could fit 12 hours of music on a on a regular cd of you know if, as data, stored as right. data. Gotcha. So uh, Frank from the band Rocket Goldstar that I'm playing in, uh, still playing in, um, thought it would be fun if we made a 12-hour long single. And um, <laughs> so that was our... <laughs> so we, uh, we recorded it as a live performance and it started at midday and it went through to midnight. Um, it was actually it had quite a lot of press at the time. There was a guy, it was covered in the enemy, there was an enemy journalist there who did a, a write-up on it and stuff. And we had lots of guests coming in at various points. But man, I tell you what, it's hard work playing 12 hours 
long. It's really hard. And about and, and, and it, it, uh, the idea of this kind of stemmed from this like, thing that we were finding it very difficult to record cool jams. Every time we'd have a cool jam and we checked the recording and for some reason it eluded us and it just seemed like, like pure improvised music is always better when it's not captured and... <laughs> ah. <laughs> it's totally ignored. <laughs> yeah. It's best left alone. When... <laughs> yes. So we thought if we played for... 12 hours, then at some point in that 12 hours, we'll capture a couple of minutes of it, you know. Maybe a good bit, yeah. <laughs> it's like a Does jam with listen back to it? <laughs> yeah, well, we How could... the hell, I mean, what I want to know is, yeah, you record for 12 hours. How the hell did somebody then go through it? You listen to it, you can only really listen to that once and make some decisions. You couldn't go, no, I'm going to listen to that again. I mean, that would just be... <laughs> we, had a, we had a competition. We we embedded a competition into it. Sort of. Uh, it, unfortunately, the competition never actually got completed. But the competition was uh, if you. It was like a painting by numbers picture, and you got the colours every so often. I would sing at a random point. I would say number three is purple, and then and so <laughs> so you could only colour in the picture correctly if you listen to the whole thing really so, nobody bothered to do that you do surprise me oh man <laughs> i think it's brilliant I it's a great i think it's a fantastic the only thing that i think you might have found out subsequently or after you'd gone down the planning route was a single has to be under a certain length of time yes to be considered to be a single yes yeah <laughs> and therefore to enter the charts in any way or have any record of his existence Yes, that's why it's there's ah. no record of its existence now. That's the was that the one that got you, was it? <laughs> I got but, uh, a friend who did completely the opposite. He f- tried to fit seven singles on a single, so every one had to be a minute long. That was it. Oh, brilliant! And I've still got loads of them, and they're absolutely brilliant. Wow! Now that would have been a challenge. Twelve hours worth of minute long songs. <laughs> oh. Christ! Imagine what your brain would be like after. Yeah. <laughs> Rich is putting the uh, proverbial gun to the head there in a sort of, uh, just in a kind of, <laughs> yeah, that would be tough. The funny thing with the 12-hour single, though, is we had a verse and a chorus uh, uh, that was pre-written uh, by Sean, the drummer, uh, and we thought, oh, man, this verse chorus by, you know, sort of, I don't know, six or seven hours in is just going to be really, really cool. And it, that just got worse and worse and worse <laughs> as we went on. And, and like, I tell you, it's because we're trying to constantly create and change and do all this stuff. Your brain at some point, I think probably about the nine-hour mark, starts to kind of get really glutinous uh, and... <laughs> 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 and the most stranger stuff starts coming out as well. <laughs> you know. Oh, uh, man, that sounds brilliant. That, that sounds like... Was there an audience the entire time? Yeah, well... Also, we had, um, we had, uh, yeah, there was there was quite a lot of uh, people hanging around in a. Stu- it was in a studio. It was quite a big studio, and it was like a, a live room and a control room. And um, what was quite fun was we had uh, we had a little thing called Rocket Guest Star, and every so often they would hold up a sign in a window that said Rocket Guest Star, and then the door would open and in would come someone. They, they may be a friend of ours or a musician who we liked, who we'd invited. We had 64 guests over the, over the two-hour period. But, <laughs> thing, but, but we didn't know who was coming next. So we would have the sign in the window. So, oh, right, so the three of us, three-piece band, the three of us would be playing and then someone new would come in and they would come in for a stint of no longer than, uh, I think it was 20 minutes was the kind of cut-off for any guest. Uh, and I'd got in touch with a, a, a group of experimental musicians um, who I didn't know, but someone had said, oh, you should contact these. These people build their own instruments and they get together and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we had a whole bunch of people who, <laughs> it would go rocket guest star, the door would come in, in would walk a complete stranger with the strangest contraption that they <laughs> pack up and go. And I've never seen them again since, you know. <laughs> Oh, that just sounds like such a fun event. I can imagine you were all exhausted after that. And it's a shame. I think there's a great idea in there as well. You know, that could be repeated. Maybe not 12 hours because you've done it and know what it feels like. But, yeah, that's, that is like free-falling for 12 hours, essentially, isn't it? But it must have honed your kind of improvisational and kind of musical chops after that. I bet you felt you could tackle anything, right? 
Yeah, um, well, I'll tell you, um, ASIO Head's asking if the recording still exists. It does still exist, so if anyone wants a copy of it, email me, gazgoldstar at hotmail.com, maybe, uh, and then I'll do a big transfer, I'll transfer it and send it to oh, it. Yeah. Put a link in your Twitter feed, if they follow yeah. you on Twitter, then you can put a link to it. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to have been a guest who a guest had been the next door neighbour who'd have just walked in and pulled the fuse out of the ball <laughs> <laughs> three hours in. But it was enough. technically, I mean, this was in the year two thousand, and actually to stitch it together, there was like four DAP players running, and no, three DAP players, uh, and um, and like there was somebody who was just doing that all day, and there was like basically the whole thing was a stereo mix down onto Dad. And jeez, uh, oh, and also, I mean, just be able to deal with that much data at that time would have been pretty difficult, right? Yeah, two thousand, yeah. And we had to. It took us. It took us a couple of days to stitch together all the parts and get all the kind of you know each that correctly sort of uh, overlay. We'd wait until I think it was about five minutes before the end of the dat, then the other dat would start. You know, so it was all quite uh, quite crude. But it all st- it stitched together pretty seamlessly, though. So it was wow. a. An achievement of a sort. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. That sounds like great fun. Great fun. I don't know how I can follow that. That just sounds like it might be. Uh, let's see if what what else we've got. Is there something? Is there any any topics here that uh, that people are very particularly keen to uh, to cover? We could probably fit, squeeze one more in. I like that synth. Which one? The uh, oh, that boom star. The boom star. Okay. All right. Well, I, I will. Uh, as soon as you brought an oh, extra guest, it. you get the you get to be the, to make first dibs. Right, uh, let me uh, press... I think I've got a button for that. The static image, of course, this is the uh, Studio Electronics Boom Star, which is, as far as I can tell, a sort of fairly standard... Um I'm just trying to load out now. Uh, a couple of oscillators, is that right? With different filter types. You can buy this in different filter types, and uh, if I go to... Start page here. There's a, there's a bigger image of it here, actually, um, which is this is the this is the Boomstar uh, 4075. We were listening to the 4075 there. The 4075 is the one that has the ARP filter type, but you can get it with uh, the 4075 Classic ARP 2600 filter type, 5089 Classic Move 24 dB ladder, uh, SEM Classic Oberheim 12 dB, and the 303 Classic Roland TB. Um, 799 um, not actually available as yet as far as I can tell but Dave you were keen on this do tell what's the what, what was it that kind of thrilled you about that I mean it seemed to me that they perhaps should have um, made one with interchangeable filters yeah they've done that before though, haven't they they did the thing with the um, the little packs you put in I can't remember what that was called now. That was, uh, but I like studio electronics stuff, and this kind of struck me as very interesting. Great price for what it is, and it and and it kind of sparked off a debate here because obviously there's a fair few people putting different filter modes in, and and one of the things that I was saying to Chris earlier is that uh, I love that idea, but for me it's the way each of the components within a particular synth interacts with each other that makes that synth have a load of character or not a lot of character or makes it quirky or and i like that you know the the profit and the um polymod stuff the obx and the cross mod stuff the eight voice and and and, and it's the way these modules interact so whether it, you can take a film see, module yeah, yeah. on its own and go we're just putting it with this oscillator or whatnot, and, 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 and whether you get that same kind of joy. But I tell you, at 799 bucks, I will try. It's nice to see, um, and there's also some sort of modular type action going on. You've got VCO mod, uh, VCF mod, uh, gate in, external in, envelope output. Uh, let's see what else we've got there. Sub oscillator looks like. Um, a VC, yeah. Uh, there's also a single LFO, is there? Uh, two targets, which is kind of interesting for the single VCO. So, and an overdrive circuit. It looks kind of cool. I mean, Rich, have you ever had any um, studio electronic stuff? They're a US manufacturer. I'm guessing somebody might have tried to pedal one to you at some point. Yes, yes. I've used their products and they rack mounted our vintage mini mug, actually. Oh, um, that's right, because that's, that's where they kind of came from, wasn't it? was modifying... Yeah. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Before they started releasing their own products, they were known as the people who would take your mini mug and put it in a rack with MIDI and add a few new features, like multiple triggering and things like that. Um, I thought 
this was a very, very interesting product, and I couldn't hear it until just now when you played the demo, and I think it's probably going to sound great, but I think they have a real marketing problem with this thing because when you release four versions of the same thing, nobody knows what to, what to buy. And as much as I agree with every single thing Dave said when he said, I'd like to have one of these, I say to you, which one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. And really what I think fun. they should have done was released, pick one. I don't care. Probably not the 303 first. So you release either the Moog filter or the Oberheim filter first, say. And you let that fester in the marketplace and everybody love it and let it gain all this notoriety as a product. And people will start screaming, well, why don't you do one with a Moog filter? Yeah. Well, funny you should mention it. Or an ARP 2600 filter. But to release four of these at the same time, I think leaves your customers going, I don't know what to do. What else we got here? You know, like, and they, get, they, move, they move on, you know. I think it's a confusing marketing concept. I think it's a great idea and a wonderful thing to do it. And I agree with Dave about when you're not mixing together voices through the filter, through a single one of these filters, you're using it differently. And it, you can't expect the same result. But it'll still sound great, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. Well, that's a good point. And Mark Tinley, have you used any studio electronics stuff? Uh, yes, I have, and I do remember when they used to rack mount Moogs and or Moogs. Is that right, Moogs? Moog, and um, and <laughs> they were pretty phenomenal beasts, and I was uh, very impressed. And then after that, they brought out this other thing with coloured buttons all over. ATC one was it? Yeah. Yeah. Now what they did with that is they had a little cartridge thing that you could punch in the back of it, and it would turn it into all of the well. Probably not dissimilar things. I think it had an Oberheimer 303, a Moog, and maybe another one. I don't know if there was another one. We had a couple of those modules. And that sounded brilliant as well. So why didn't they do that? Maybe they could have done that a little, you know. Yeah, well, maybe so. Maybe maybe they felt that it was uh, it had been done and it wouldn't get any press. I don't know. I mean, we're talking about nice, it, I suppose. Though, doesn't it? it does. It reminds me a little bit of the kind of Macbeth Micromac kind of vibe. You know, it's that sort of desktopy euro racky kind of kind it's of, also got that kind of classic modular kind of look to it as well in a way yeah yeah i see Gray what you're saying knobs and rows and stuff actually they look like uh, phillips philicordia knobs oh i've just got one of those in here have you literally really? we've just got one from casabian and uh i saw one there. of those it's on the floor do you want to say it oh yeah no i saw one of those at a car boot sale once. Yeah, they are beautiful. Um, Will, Gregory's got one. Wow. They are nice, actually. There you go. I saw one at a car boot sale, and I didn't buy it, and I really kicked myself for it. It was only 30 quid. Ooh. I mean, that was a number of years ago, mind, but, you know. I don't know. Gaz, are you interested in this, or, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I'm... used to have a Studio Electronics SE1. Oh, okay. I had that for a number of years, uh, but I hated it. I loved the sound of it. I didn't. I just hated the uh, inter the operating system. Uh, it was one of those things where it was virtually everything was on the front panel except a few really crucial bits <laughs> that and, you needed the most. Oh uh, yeah, I used to find it really irritating. I'd had um, I'd borrowed a a mini Moog. Uh, I say unashamedly, um, Model D <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> for a while. You know, I got that one thinking that it was going to give me a similar experience, and I really didn't like it. it. This sounded great, but, you know, it just goes to show, I think, that, you know, if you don't get the playability, you don't get all the instances things right, I don't know, it just it could be such a turn-off. I mean, this, however, looks pretty cool in that it's pretty fully featured, isn't it? You know, the clock controls. They've got those little mini controls at the bottom, haven't they, as well? Which uh, yeah, that's feedback noise. Feedback looks interesting. I guess that's that's the sort of returning signal back into itself to get that kind of drive. Yeah, down there, getting quite popular, now, isn't it? To have Wiggling that. Wiggling my mouse around it now, it's going to look very tiny by the time it gets to uh, whatever you're watching. But uh, yeah, it does look pretty cool. But seven nine nine seems quite reasonable. Dollars actually does seem quite reasonable um, for something that's that's so um, niche. So, yeah, I agree with you, Dave, there. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Would have been nice, like you say, if, if you could switch through the filter section. But, like I keep saying, it's the way all these things interact. The voodoo inside the instrument. The voodoo that you do. You Andy, time. are yeah. you a synthesizer guy? Or are you a yeah. bass player? I'm trying to remember. No, I'm not a synthesizer guy, no. Um, I, I did used to play a bass and started to collect, started to buy 
odd things now. I just bought a Steinberger, a Horner Steinberger. Oh, oh I remember those. Is that, was that, which, graph, is that a carbon body? It was, but the Horner one's made of wood. Yeah. But, um, yeah, surprisingly, obviously, it was ridiculed on the darkness bus, which is the main reason I was, I was made to buy it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So that I could be ridiculed for being. Didn't, from wasn't the, the Steinberger bass the one that you know? It was the original kind of the, the one of the one of the slap bass sounds from the, one you know the Akai one or the Fairlight one. It was the Steinberger bass that had the. I can't remember who used one, but there was. It had a. Probably. It, it was a very eighties moment. It is very yes. It's it's and you put one you pick one up now and it is still a very eighties moment. Interestingly enough, when I when. So, uh, oh, that's great. Has it got that little thing, that, that that little flap that so you can rest it on your leg? And I go, yeah, and they go, that's my favourite bit about that bass. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's got... It's everybody's like... favourite bit is this little flap thing that comes out so you can rest it on your leg. Because it's such a stupid shape, otherwise, as I as, think that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah this sort of shoehorn thing. Puts it on his motorbike, because it's small. And then can go and play gigs. My first band, we both had... We, uh, me and the guitarist both had black honer. Oh he had, dear! He had the guitar one, and I had the, <laughs> a five-string one. Wow! Did you wear matching p- ties? When we were sixteen, and we thought we thought we were so cool. I mean, this was about eighty-eight, nineteen eighty-eight. So it was. Uh, yeah, you were wrong. You um, <laughs> didn't buy any chance, but it would have been. I'm hoping one of you was left-handed and one was right-handed. So when you looked at the stage, they actually went out in opposite directions. Yeah, oh, sadly not. But uh. we were, we were working on a system where we could make them spin like ZZ Top style. So, uh... <laughs> One of the more useful things you can do with a Steinberg instrument. I yeah, think. I imagine it'd be quite easy to spin. Mind you, I've got a, I played a, a 1982 Steinberger. The, the, uh, Steinberg. No, Steinberger. I always Stein- Steinberg. Steinberg. Uh, the, the, the graphite one. And... It sounded amazing. I, I really thought, ooh. I'd catch they do point. sound great. I mean, this one sounds great, and it's very easy to play. It's just very difficult to play it without somebody laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> Is it as indeed we're all proving now, even at the thought of it? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't know. Wow, that's a great... What a great way to end the show. I wanna, has anyone got anything else to add before I do the wrap-up? Because that's uh, yeah, it's a, a fabulous tale. Nope. Okay then. Well, uh, thank you, everybody. That was a great fun show. I'm sorry about the audio dropouts. Um, we did decide, for some bizarre reason, to kind of tidy up the cabling in the studio just before I started the show. And I'm guessing that maybe one of the digital lines has got a little kink in it or something, which is why the clock was dropping somewhere along the line. So uh, sorry about that. But I've tried to pause and uh, ask people to to um, carry on afterwards. Anyway, I'm I'm now actually doing undoing any good work I might have done. I should have just not brought attention to it, and I've completely blown. Anyway, thank you very much everybody uh, for joining us. I'm going to say first of all, uh, we'll go to Dave Spears and Andy Shillito there. Dave Spears of course there uh, in the ever decreasing room that uh, he's removing all of his stuff from going somewhere else. Um GeForce software, makers of fine musical instruments. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you. We took the M4 out today. And guess what? It was amazing. So we got the M4 out. That's the Optigun, right? Uh, the uh, Chamberlain, Chamberlain, which is sorry, yes. massive. Yeah, that's 300 kilos, and we were just kind of going, oh, God, it's so heavy for is us it? old people. And we'd find a young person so we can break his back. And uh, about 10 minutes later, some more stuff turned up from Japan. <laughs> so we were like, ah, oh, right, now what am I going to do with this? Oh, and the Phil Cordia as well. But, yeah. So, so yeah. you're getting there. So, Andy, uh, Andy Shilato, is that the reason you're actually there? You were just hired muscle. No. no, no. I was just passing and needed a cup of tea. <laughs> Andy Shilito, uh, thank you very much for joining us and sharing some of your uh, your stories from uh, what is it probably? Are you going back out on the road again with Darkness, or is that the end of it now? No, we're going back out for uh, we're going back out for another two months uh, with Gaga doing the uh, like South America, South Africa. We'll finish on December the twelfth, and we leave. I actually leave tomorrow. Oh, well, thank you very much for joining us. That's, uh, we appreciate that. I imagine on a tour such as that, you must get all sorts of celebs showing up who want to, want to have a chat with Gaga. Do you find there's sort of some very unusual characters wandering about backstage looking for the green room? Yes, for, um, but security is very tight. I think um, there's always unusual characters at any backstage <laughs> looking for the, the elusive green room and the after show. Yeah, uh, the after think, show, man? Uh, thinking for some reason you'll tell them what hotel 
and what room number the band are staying in if they ask you nicely. Yeah, that's unlikely. Oh, it just shows the sign of a true professional. Andy Shillito, thank you very much for joining us as well. Thank yeah, you. he's always doing it. <laughs> and also, um, thank you. Uh, no, thank you. And Rich Hilton there in Connecticut, um, in your recuperative uh, room there. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm glad to see you in such, uh, in, in such robust health. Thank you. Had fun. It was great to see you guys. And, and really, uh, stay, stay healthy, Andy. I'll try. <laughs> I'm sure everybody will uh, echo that sentiment. Anyway, Rich, thank you very much. Hiltonius.com for all your uh, Rich Hilton needs. Although I can't vouch for how up-to-date your website is. I'm sure it's... Ah. All this, this recuperative time, uh, they, there's no excuse not to have your website up-to-date, surely. Okay. <laughs> I'll run with that as a concept. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, Rich. And we'll also say thank you to Mark Tinley over there. Um, Mark will have to speak to uh, gain entrance to Speaking. the large window. Ah, oh, there's Mark in the square window. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks Hello. for joining us too, Mark, and for being so, uh, so, so on time. I'm much appreciated. I'm sure you've... Uh... You're very welcome. I don't know how that happened. It was a bit of a miracle, really. You know, one of those events. <laughs> Un- unprecedented world event, me arriving back here before four o'clock. So. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Anyway, likebean.com for all of Mark's stuff, and uh, we'll hopefully speak to you again very, very soon. So thank you. And finally, we'll say goodbye to Gaz Williams, who's over there in Bristol in his uh, Gaz's garret. He'll have yes. to speak. Well, ah! I again in a slightly <laughs> camp kind of way. You end on a camp way. Okay, let's hear it. Well, I just thought I'd talk to you like this. <laughs> Courtesy of the voice live. Oh, endless fun. <laughs> Brilliant, Gaz. Gaz Goldstar uh, at, twi- uh, at Gaz Goldstar. Follow Gaz and see uh, Maybe you'll get to hear that 12-hour single if you've got half oh, a, a day well, spare. Is there, how can you do it on uh, SoundCloud now? They used to restrict it by hours, but is it maybe data amount now? Maybe I can just check No, it's time. It's a blood... I, you know, oh, don't get me started. <laughs> you could all I know you couldn't upload it to YouTube because that'd be too long as well unless your channel is yeah Fun. that's very tricky yeah it, we used to have it up on our website our old website but that's long gone uh, so yeah I'll try and figure something out but. I'm just trying to think what you yeah what would be the size of a 12 hour mp3 at senders. 192 kbps uh, yeah I think so it's sort of a we transfer or something and just put it to the emails people I guess but uh, yeah I mean be aware there is some extremely tedious moments on it <laughs> tell me how big it is and if it's big if, if it's manageable i can stick it on uh, one of our servers and you can I give you a link oh cool it's about 700 meg i think because that I was, was the thing. Oh, Jesus. It would be about 700 meg good shout there mark mm. well spotted anyway guys thank you very much for joining us we uh, very much appreciate it. and uh, we thanks. can all have a group wave can we we can all have a group because we've got a full shot there so thanks ever so much for everybody's joining us um I thought I had something to play us out with. Oh, yes, I, did, I, did. I had a bit of darkness from the Isle of Wight, but I pretty much think if I do that, I'm bound to get nobbled on YouTube, so I'm not going to play it. I'll give you one brief... Sp- hold on. That's not it. Is it that one? I'm pretty sure I did have some footage. I just don't know where it is now. <laughs> that was brilliant! That's not it. That's not it either. It's in this one, which, which I haven't actually... Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, never mind. Obviously, I forgot to save it, knowing that if I didn't actually play it back, it would be, um, it would be probably for the best because I don't want to get busted for copyright infringements. Uh, I've already had a warning on YouTube, and it's just not worth it. Anyway, Sonic Talk number 287. My God, we're heading towards the magical 300. Yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, that's it. It's a wrap. Cheers.